the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news Well, today as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews, this morning as we're talking about Jesus being the bearer of God's clearest message, I've entitled our sermon today, So Great a Salvation. As we open up 2024, and we're preaching in this wonderful book of Hebrews, our first message was to do is better, where we talked about the newness of the message then last week we had Be an Angel and discussed the spreading of the message. Today's message is so great a salvation, which will be on the greatness of the message. There's a song in our songbooks. If you want to sing along with me. So I don't have to sing along, but I just want to sing one verse of this song, page 319. It's called Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Maybe you know this song. As I was going over it, when I first looked at it, it's like, boy, I can't remember the tune. <laughs> it's been so long since I sang it. Oh, thank you. You know, do I miss Ted or what? Thank you for reminding me. I have that one and then I have this one. Alright, the song, page 319, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. But I really want you to listen to the words, and please help me out on this. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden. Setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Thank you. Did you catch the words of that song? What a great salvation Jesus came to bring. It is something to sing about. And according to Hebrews, it's something to be warned about. Hear with open ears these inspired words in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest need to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, this morning as we contemplate this scripture in Hebrews, I pray that we'll understand the great salvation we've been given. But we also, I pray, Lord, understand what we can lose if we don't guard this great salvation. And we can guard this great salvation, Lord, by being in the Word and staying true to the Word. And I pray, Lord, this morning that truly we'll be honored to accept the Word and realize all the gifts that we've received and how they proclaim this great salvation that we've been granted. Lord, we will recognize that there are many, many people that are in still need of this great salvation that we have. So may we, Lord, be honored as your servants to share the Word of God with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear the unanswerable question there? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? To reject or neglect God's way of salvation leads us with no other exit. God worked out but one way of salvation, the way through His Son. No other path to heaven is available. Now, every criminal knows that there are three ways of possible escape. You may escape being seen. And should that fail, and you are spotted in the act of committing a crime, and the police begin to pursue you, possibly might escape in a revved up car that could uh, go faster than the law officer can. And even if caught by a roadblock and thrown into jail, one yet might escape by bribing the jailer or masterminding a prison break. None of this, however, would work with God. Be not deceived. We cannot escape being seen by God. God's omniscient. He sees all. So there's nowhere we can hide from God. Number two is being God is being omnipresent. He's in all places, so there's nowhere to flee where he's not already there. And it would be foolish to imagine that the Almighty could be overpowered or the Holy One be bribed because the Bible describes God as a just God. And this leaves the unanswered question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, then was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. I don't think there's a way we're going to escape, is there? If we neglect this great salvation. I want to share with you three points the inspired author of Hebrews is making about so great a salvation there from those two verses. And the first is this. It is spoken by the great master. Now how can we go wrong knowing that these words God spoke? Remember the day when four men so wanted their paralytic friend to receive Jesus' healing that they dug a hole through the roof of the crowded house Jesus was teaching in. And when the master saw the man being lowered on a pallet through the man-made opening, he responded to such a thing uh, as their faith as this. He said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
Now, I always find that uh, an awesome uh, illustration in this way. Jesus, imagine Jesus sitting in the middle of this room in a small, probably small house, and suddenly somebody starts ripping up the ceiling above him. Maybe the little bits of, of dust and, and straw or whatever's on the roof starts to fall in on Jesus. And one thing that, that amazes me, we never see Jesus look up and say, Hey, what are you doing? I'm sitting here. What's Jesus do? He commends their faith that they have such faith. They can't get in the house any other way that they tear up somebody's roof. And lower their friend. But it demonstrated their faith that they knew if they could just get their friend to see Jesus, Jesus would heal him. But isn't it interesting? The first thing that Jesus said is, Son, your sins are forgiven you. You see, it shows us that Jesus was concerned about him having his sins forgiven before he was concerned about him getting up and walking away. In Mark 2, that was Mark 2, 5. And while salvation will be purchased later at the cross of Calvary, it earlier here was at first began to be spoken by the Lord, we read. Remember one day a leper knelt before the great teacher and said these words in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. If you are willing, he said to Jesus, you can make me clean. And the Lord responded, I am willing, be cleansed. It first began to be spoken by the Lord. He realized what a day that was for that man who had leprosy. And Jesus said, be cleansed. That meant he could get to go back to the temple and worship. Because up till now with leprosy he couldn't. Imagine, whatever it might be, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's whatever, whatever it might be, but you couldn't come to worship on Sunday because you have this disease. Ted's sitting in the hospital and the first thing he tells me this morning is, I miss church. But you can't come because you have cancer. Or whatever it might be. Psoriasis. That's something you can see on the skin. Almost like a leprosy. You can't come. Well, everywhere you go, you have to call out, Unclean! Unclean! And people start scattering everywhere. Because you're a leper. Jesus spoke to him and spoke to him salvation when he said, I'm willing, be cleansed. Oh, it didn't save him from his sins. But boy, he got him to go back to the temple and worship and hear about God. The Pharisees dragged a disheveled woman before Jesus in John chapter 8. Charging that she had been caught in the very act of adultery. Hate gleamed in their eyes as they reminded Jesus of the law's demand for stoning. 
They taunted the Lord with this dare. Moses commanded us that she should be stoned. What do you say? And at first he was quiet. And he stoops down and writes in the sand and in the dirt. Now, what was he writing? Everybody was wondering what Jesus wrote. Perhaps the names of the men standing by gawking at this woman. Remember, she was caught in the midst of adultery and they drug her out. So chances are, unless she was able to grab a sheet or something, she was probably not very well clothed. Maybe Jesus writing their names in the sand. Or perhaps he was writing God's commandment on this matter. It says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, now listen, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Maybe Jesus is writing the law. Where was the man who was caught with her in this very act? Perhaps he was a man of some standing amongst the Pharisees. One of our brothers! And Jesus is in the ground writing something. And then he broke the prolonged silence with this statement. He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And after each had walked away, one by one, Jesus asked, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and, what? Sin no more. You see, it first began to be spoken by the Lord. In the upper room, the one soon to be crucified took the emblems of unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. He spoke regarding the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. You see, it first began to be spoken by the Lord. This plan of great salvation. Jesus was nailed to a cross and he was crucified on Calvary's hill. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came by and mocked him and spit on him. Even the Roman guards cast lots for his clothing. Yet in his pain and agony and suffering, Jesus looked to God and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. It first began to be spoken by the Lord. You see, this salvation must be pretty incredible important because it was spoken by the great master. Not only was it spoken by the great master, it was spread by the great messengers. The Hebrew writer says that it was first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed by us, by those who heard him. The reference now is to the apostles. While the writer and readers of Hebrews had never seen or heard Jesus in the flesh, they believed the information about him that had reached their ears by the apostles of Christ. You see, the apostles were the witnesses that had walked the roads of Palestine with him. They were the ones whose ears had heard him speak and heard his sermons. They were the ones whose eyes saw his healings. They were the ones who announced his redeeming death and resurrection. See, the men Jesus picked to be apostles were promised that God's Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth and bring to their remembrance all that was said to them. 
See, the risen Savior called them his witnesses to bring the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. And across the world they went telling the same great salvation that had first been spoken by the Lord. And we see Peter rise to his feet on that historic day of Pentecost in 30 AD with the other apostles by his side. And the message was that Jesus was sent to fulfill the scriptures as promised by God to Moses and David and others. And in Acts 2, 36 through 39, it says these words, Therefore, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now let me ask you, how is one called? He's called through the gospel message. Confirmed to us by those who heard him. I remember Brother Ed Bowsman received a letter. I don't know how many of you remember or know of Ed Bowsman, great preacher of the Word of God out of Ohio. But Ed got a letter from a lady. And the lady in the letter wrote these words because she was talking about, uh, I think it was Pat, uh, Pat Robertson. I believe his name. And she said, Brother Ed, Pat says, all I have to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. And he wrote her back this side. I know what Pat says, but Pete says, you have to repent and be baptized. How can we argue with something that the eyewitness, the Apostle Peter, recognize and was told by Jesus yet people want to say but Pat says and what did Peter's message do? 3,000 converts were not enough for Peter so we find him preaching again by the beautiful gate of the temple in Jerusalem remember 3,000 were uh, saved on that day when Peter preached that message then we see him at the temple. And this time the message is, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And once again we see that the gospel was passed on by those who heard. We did not get to live in that day and hear with our ears the oral testimony of the apostles. However, their witness has reached us in the written form of the gospel and the epistles. And if we look in the book of Romans, written by the apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. And in the eighth chapter, verses one and two, therefore, there, excuse me, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And if we look at the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, how can we argue these words? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Many of you have ever been in the audience for any presidential speeches? Raise your hand. Who did you hear, Leslie? George Bush the first or second? Wow. Pretty cool honor, isn't it? Three times for me. When I was but a young lad. I'm about four or five years old. Crazy things you remember sometimes. But I can remember a man took me in the audience and put me on his shoulders so I could hear then-president Lyndon Johnson speak. Now, I'll be honest, at that age, I don't remember what he was saying, but I remember how quiet it was as he spoke to this crowd of people. Got to hear my favorite president... President Reagan speak as he dedicated two new buildings at the National Security Agency. I was in the Navy and stationed there at Fort Meade and got to hear President Reagan speak. What an honor that was. And it was really cool because I had to go through the, you know, the metal detectors and all the Secret Service guys around. You're looking at, wow, there's snipers everywhere. And then I got to hear President George Bush, the older, speak when he came to thank all the members of the National Security Agency for their work in Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And the, the crazy thing is, I was in the front row. I was as close to President Bush as Kim the only people in front of me were the press, and so they made them sit on the ground. <laughs> I was in the front row. I looked right into his eyes. I was that close and heard his words. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that for this reason. Peter and John heard the words of Jesus, touched Jesus. John got to hear his heartbeat when they sat around the table. The Passover, that night when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Where did it say John was? John was leaning against Jesus' bosom instead. His head was right on Jesus' chest. He could hear his heartbeat. They knew what it was like, Peter, James, and John, to be on the mountain when Jesus was transformed there with Elijah and Moses. 
And those things were written for our understanding and knowledge. How can we argue with such great witnesses when they talk about such a great salvation that they can confirm? Because the message was spread by the great messengers. Not only that, Jesus does not leave himself without a witness. Okay? They were supported by the great miracles. The Hebrew writer says that it was at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, confirmed to us by those who heard, and God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You see, after the great salvation was spoken by the great master and spread across the world by the voice and pen of the great messengers, then God bears witness with supportive miracles that accompanied the apostles' testimony. These were like a calling card that proclaimed the witness of the apostles was like an amen from God to what his messenger said regarding his son. And it's important to define what it means by a miracle. There are two Greek words used in the New Testament. One is dunamis. It's the power, the inherent ability. It's used of works of supernatural origin and character, such as could not be produced by natural agents and means. And the second is Simeon. It's a sign, a mark, or a token. It's used of miracles and wonders as signs of divine authority. Now, although we many times want to attribute something as a miracle, like the birth of a child, we must realize the word miracle designates a situation where God works in a different way than usual to attract the attention of men. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and the tongues of fire were on their head, and they began to speak in other languages, languages they had never studied in their life. And all those who were there could understand in their own language what was being spoken. I say that's a pretty amazing miracle. How about you? I wonder how the apostles felt that day. Wow! Look what we did! John, I didn't know you could speak that language. I did can't. I never studied it. The apostles have not over the years mastered these languages in classrooms or universities or working arduously to, to attain that task. It was instantaneously and perfectly as the Spirit gave them utterance, it says. The apostles' lips spoke unhaltingly in each of hearing their own language by the miracle of God. And the result, the result of this miracle was 3,000 souls were baptized into Christ. And were added to the church that day. On another day at the hour of prayer in the temple, a lame man is seen as usual spot asking for alms. This beggar man was well known. For he assumed the same spot every day. Yet on this particular day, Peter and John come along and the beggar says, Can you give me some alms? And, and they looked at the man and Peter said, Look at me. And when, the man had his, uh, when Peter had the man's attention, he said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this miraculous act resulted in the gospel being spread according to Acts 4 because this man got up and he walked away and many of those who heard it says the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. 
Wow! So you know what happened down at the temple today? I was there. I saw it. This guy named Peter. You know, the, the guy is always around. I don't even know his name. He's always down there begging every single day at the temple. Well, Peter spoke to him. He got up and he walked away. I witnessed it. And look at all the people that heard the gospel that day and went and were added to the church. Why were they? How were they added? Because they believed and were repented and baptized into Christ. And then Peter has a trip planned and he goes to Joppa in Acts chapter 9 where there's a woman named Tabitha who became sick and she died. And Peter was summoned. He came and heard from many of the women, their friends, of good works and charitable deeds that Tabitha had done. And she, uh, Peter went and he knelt down and he prayed. He said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter took her hand and lifted her from the bed and presented her alive to her friends. And what happened? This miracle was ordered and it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa. And what? Many believed on the Lord. You see, we use the word miracle where the Bible speaks of signs and wonders and powers and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And a miracle is called a wonder. For that is the effect produced upon its observers or readers. They stand in awe at the display of God's love and power. And it's defined as a sign. For a sign on a street corner points to something. And the miracles of Jesus and his chosen witnesses point like a signpost to the fact that the Lord is God's Son and the apostolic gospel is heaven's truth. And the term manifold powers informs us that no human power could ever accomplish these benevolent deeds. Christ did miracles of every kind. They sprang from a word or a touch from Jesus and his men and only the Holy Spirit's gifts could make possible what was impossible to humans. And God also bears witness of the gospel message with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this salvation must be of incredible importance because it was supported by the great miracles. So the unanswerable question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's take a moment to look back. In verses 1 and 2, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And then to the unanswerable question. You see, our first inclination is to preach this message loud and clear to those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ. For well, they need this great salvation. But the unanswerable question asked by the Hebrew writer is for you and me. You see, the word isn't reject, but neglect. We who have accepted must give the earnest heed lest we, what? Drift away. Like a fisherman whose boat is anchored in the strongly receding tide may fail to notice that he is being pulled out to sea from the security of the shore. The Christian can drift with the tide of false doctrine or apathy or anger or selfishness or whatever until his soul is endangered. The question remains, how shall we escape if we neglect 
so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we let ourselves drift away? The answer is clear. There is no escape. Therefore, anchor in the gospel and don't drift away. It's man's only hope. It's man's only hope. I think back to John chapter 6. When Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they didn't understand because some the Pharisees and the Sadducees they were there, they thought he was talking about cannibalism, but he was not talking about cannibalism. He's given the reference there to the Lord's Supper, essentially, because that's what he's talking about. If you don't have, if you don't take no part in my body or my blood, you have no part with me. And it says there these sad words. And many of them walked with him no more. Wow, that's sad. These are some of the same people that stood up for Jesus. They listened to Jesus' work. They saw some of the miracles that Jesus did. You see, not all Jesus' miracles were just amongst the apostles. Other people saw these things. One of my favorite is the feeding of 5,000 men. That's not even counting the women and the children. That had a little boy's lunch. All those people. That's a pretty incredible miracle. But Jesus looked at the apostles and said, do you want to leave also? And this is one, yay for Peter, you know, the one who always wanted to speak up first. When Peter said, where shall we go? You're the one that holds the plan of salvation. <laughs> holds the plan. You see, we have the greatest gift that has ever been given to anyone. Even Paul recognized the great gift that he can go around preaching the gift to other people, seeing them baptized into Christ, but if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, he could lose it. Hey, where will I be if when I'm preaching the gospel to others, I become disqualified? So yeah, we have a great message to pass on, don't we? And we want other people to hear that message and respond to that message. But each and every day, brothers and sisters, you and I need to grab a hold of this great gift of salvation and make sure that we don't neglect it. Honestly, you can see, I don't neglect my body. My wife would probably disagree. One of the things I shouldn't eat that I do. But it's taken me a long time to be this fit. I, I just like to say, you know, people say, are you in shape? Yeah, I'm shape. I'm round. That's a shape. But all joking aside, you know, many times there are things in our life we don't neglect that aren't nearly as important as the great gift of salvation. And maybe you have a decision to make this morning for Jesus. Maybe you haven't given your life to Him yet. Maybe you haven't followed what they did on the 
the day of Pentecost, the 3,000 who were baptized by faith repented of their sins. By faith confessed the name of Jesus. And by faith were baptized, immersed into Christ. 